cinnamon, clove. That's the one that has the tonka bean in, so it's like a vanilla chocolatey, spicy flavour. It sounds yeah. perfect for Christmas. Yes, it's like Christmas in a bottle. Hello and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Have you ever ordered vermouth at the bar? And I mean only vermouth? Probably not. Well, Fliss Granston is trying to change all that. As UK brand ambassador of Belsazar Vermouth, her dream is getting us all to stop thinking of it as just a mixer. She joins us today and begins with a little lesson in vermouth itself. So vermouth, I think a lot of people don't know. Um, a lot of people think of it as like the dusty old bottle on there, like grandma's shelf, I think. But vermouth is, to kind of categorize it, it is fortified, aromatized wine. So it's basically, wine is the heart of it, and then you take herbs, spices, fruit peels, blossoms, um, and that gives it a different dimension. And then you add a spirit to it to bring up the ABV, or alcohol level. Um, so it'll normally be, it'll be higher than wine just on its own, but it won't be more than kind of 22% in alcohol. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> and were you a big vermouth drinker before you became brand ambassador? Yeah, so I think my background was um, the last bar that I worked at was a classical kind of focus bar. So we used vermouth all the time. Like nine out of ten of our drinks would have had some type of sweet or dry vermouth in them. But there wasn't necessarily like a focus on the category. Nobody was teaching anybody about it or nobody really, or I didn't really know what went into it. Um, so I kind of took it upon myself to educate me about it. Um, and then Belsazar came on the market and it just it changed the whole category. Um, and what we do now, which is why I wanted to work with them, is our focus is educating bartenders, not only about Belsazar, but also about where vermouth came from, what, how it started, like what people used it for before it was a cocktail ingredient and how it is its own thing entirely aside from cocktails. So that's why I like it. I think you can, it's so versatile, you can have it in so many different ways. Because I think, I think of it as a mixer. Yeah. Not that you drink it on its own. Um, so I guess that's changing. Yeah, definitely. And it, it started very much as an aperitif that you would have on its own on ice. You might add like a soda or a tonic to it to, just to lengthen it. Um, but that's how it was. Well, when is that was? That is, so that was probably up until the 1800s. Um, that it kind of boomed in the 1700s. Um, and this is like in Turin in Italy, um, aperitif culture. Um, and then at kind of mid-1800s it changed and the first bottles of vermouth were kind of shipped to America. And that's when people started mixing them. Um, at the time, spirits that were being made weren't particularly palatable um, because they didn't have the kind of standards that we have nowadays. So using something like vermouth, um, you would use a lot more of that and it would kind of cover the flavour um, and it would make you a delicious drink. So lots of people started mixing them and then it became that way. Um, and as spirits got 
higher in quality, people would use less and less vermouth. Okay. So something like a, a martini cocktail, it started much heavier in vermouth, and over the years it's got drier and drier, and now people only use a tiny bit. Um, but now we're seeing it go back again, and people are using more vermouth. Um, definitely with Belsazar we push low alcohol cocktails, so I think as a society we're becoming much more health conscious, and so we still want to enjoy cocktails, we want to go out for dinner and enjoy all of these flavours, but maybe just you want to have more than two cocktails. But you're not missing out on anything apart from that maybe the headache the next day. Of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> so back to the history of it, because I think that's really interesting. Yeah, so yeah. really technically, a cocktail was started because of vermouth. So the combination of drinks. Yeah, I think people were definitely mixing things before vermouth arrived. Okay. Um, but a lot of the classic cocktails that we still work with today use vermouth. So things like martinis, Manhattans, right, Martinez's, they weren't around before vermouth arrived on the scene. So yeah, in that sense, a lot of the classic cocktail culture started when vermouth kind of started around. Yeah. So let's talk about your history. My history, Because yeah. your history is intermingled with yeah. cocktail history. <laughs> How did you get behind the bar? So I, I studied design, uh, so I started with that. Um, and when I left university, I worked for a little while in that industry. Um, but to be honest, I kind of, I needed something steady. And so I literally just walked into my local bar and said, can I have a job? Um, Where was this? This was a tiny like pub bar called the Cadogan Arms, which is in, um, on the King's Road in Chelsea. Oh, so you're a Londoner? Yeah, well, I'm from just outside of London, but yeah, I studied in London. I've lived here for a long time. Um, so yeah, and I kind of just went from there. And for me, it blew me away the instantly they just want to educate you, teach you. They really pushed me to do. I said like, wow, I'm really enjoying this cocktail making. And they were like, okay, enter competitions, do it, come on. Um, and it was amazing. And I found from my background in fashion, it was the opposite. It was so difficult to get into it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and so I just ended up falling in love with it instantly, yeah. Do you think your studies in fashion have lent to your creativity to cocktail making? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, visually, obviously when you're working with a cocktail, um, for me I'm very much looking at it, everything about it, so um, the garnish, the colour, the texture, the flavour, it all comes one thing and I think that's very much from my history in fashion and design. Um, I think also the research side of it, the first cocktail competition I entered, for, everything about it for me was research, you know, research the brand, research the history of that drink and, and I think that's what set me aside a little bit because I'd just come out of university where that was paramount um, and yeah, I think all of those things really came together and now I have a slightly different perspective, I guess. Do you remember what that drink was? Yeah, it was called um, a bluegrass cherry sour, it was a bourbon cocktail, um, I thought it was great. <laughs> But yeah, it took, it took me such a long time to get to the point where I was like, I've made a cocktail. Because like, that was my first one and I entered a competition and I had absolutely no idea. Um, I didn't take any equipment with me, so I had to borrow everything. But it was amazing. And I think because I, I didn't know, I didn't have the pressure on me to do well because I just, it was just a, a test for me personally. Um, I went into it with quite a different head, so I was much more relaxed, especially in my presentation of it. But yeah, it was great. And after that, I kind of made a choice that this is what I want to do. So it was good. And how long ago was that? That was um, 
two years ago. Two years ago. And have, yeah. you, have you entered endless competitions now? I did for a little while, yeah. So once I, I'd been in bartending for like three months um, and I did that whole summer. I just threw myself into entering competitions um, and then I started to focus more on actually just learning skills of cocktail making. So I went down more of a route of classical cocktails and learning that. Before that I was very much kind of put it together. Just winging it? Yeah, or just like, oh, I like these flavours, they work. But I didn't have the background knowledge of what classic things go together. So I think you need a bit of both. Um, and I did that. And then, yeah, after about six months I started working with Belsies up. Well, obviously you've made a name for yourself to become a brand ambassador. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so let's talk about Belsazar. Um, so this is new, um, a new brand, right? Mm -hmm. it, it launched in 2013. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they, think they launched, they started in 2013 and then they launched in 2014 in the UK. Yeah. And well, where was it from originally? So it's a German brand. Yeah, so the founders are, the offices are in Berlin. So it's very much that kind of uh, young Berlin spirit. Um, but it's made down in South Baden, so the southwest of Germany. So we work with regional winemakers down there. Um, as far as we can, we'll source local herbs and spices. And obviously that's where Schlader is based as well, the actual distillery where we make it. Right, so it's made with German wine as well? Yeah, yeah. So everything is German? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I think everything except things like um, Tonka bean. You don't get right, Tonka bean right, in Germany, right. so... Um, but the wine itself? Sold. Yeah, definitely. That was super important to these guys. So um, Max and Sebastian, they hadn't made a vermouth before, but for them, they kind of said, if we find the best wine that we can, that's half of our job done because it's going to give us so much flavor. Um, so they traveled around Germany um, and they ended up in South Baden. And typically you get really light, fresh, aromatic, really fruity wines from that region. So they started to play with them. Um, they basically said it took them so long to get winemakers to come on board. Because obviously if you say to a winemaker, oh, we're going to buy some wine, and then we're going to turn it into vermouth. And right, they and just then we're going to change no, it completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that was really difficult. And that's where um, Philip Schladerer came in. So the guys already knew Philip. Um, and Philip has a really good relationship with one of the regional winemakers down there. And he, um, I guess in a sense, said, these guys are going to, they're doing to do a good job. Um, and that's how we got the first guy on board. Um, but Max tells me now some of the winemakers have come back to them and said, oh, maybe we can work with you. And he's gone, no, I'm okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're okay with yeah. the wines now. <laughs> but yeah, very much focused on regional wines and also creating a style that uses the flavor from the wine. So typically vermouth is probably made from neutral wine. Um, and then your herbs and your spices is where you get all your flavor from. These guys said, no, let's you know celebrate the flavors in the wine. And then the herbs and spices are just around the edge to kind of highlight what we want to come out of it. So all of our, uh, we have four styles of Belsazar. They're all based on different wines and they're all developed in completely different ways. So what was the first one they made? I think that, so when they started, they planned to make dry and sweet or dry and red. Um, and I think the dry was the first one that they kind of developed. Um, but they developed them very much at the same time. And then our next two styles are, we have a rosé and a white. And actually the rosé was one of the winemaker's ideas. You just basically said, I really like what you're doing. I have a Pinot Noir, rosé wine. Um, why don't you take some and experiment with it? And that's what they came out with. And then the white is actually a Gewürztraminer base. So it's a sweet wine. Um, and they were using the same sweet wine instead of using sugar. 
Um, but they said, look, we just love the wine, we want to create a style around it. So it's very much a modern style. There was no sense of tradition at all behind it. It wasn't, they weren't following a recipe. It was all based on flavor and what flavors were. And the combination of herbs that they put in, is that a secret? Yes. It is. <laughs> yes. I try my hard, I get try and get a new botanical out of each time. Um, but yeah, they give me about uh, two or three from each style. It depends. I can't believe they don't even tell you. I, I thought, know. okay, they might not tell us, but they don't. <laughs> I know. Well, I think traditionally for moose makers, uh, because there's no distillation involved, it's all blending of different ingredients. Um, they won't tell you anything about what goes into uh -huh. it. So Max and Sebastian, they'll tell you all about the wines, where we get them from. You can see the vineyards, you can taste the, the original wines, um, because they sell them just as they are. But the botanicals, they're a little bit like, mm, I understand secret. that. I yeah. understand that. Um, so what was it like to launch? Were you there from the beginning? So I started with them three months after they launched in the UK. So I wasn't there for the very, very beginning. Um, but yeah, when I started, it was very much going to bars and um, talking to people about Belsazar, but also, you know, saying vermouth is it's a big category, it's going to come back, we want to do vermouth and aperitifs, and people would just say no. Um, really? They weren't yeah. open to it originally? Well, I think um, is it still something that we're working on, so we're at the moment low ABV cocktails, aperitif style of drinking, so drinking with food, um, that kind of thing is definitely building in the UK, but that's something that we're really working on to bring back. I think a lot of people think of it as a cocktail ingredient, like you said, like a mixer. So if you say to someone, well, you can drink this on its own, they go, what? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's still building, definitely. Now, you're talking about the low alcohol content yes. of it. And you, you actually said, um, we want to return to the idea of people drinking it. Now, they drank it by itself in the 1700s. Mm -hmm. There's been a long time between that. Yeah. Um, how do you foresee getting the consumer to change their mind about it? I think um, I think lots of people are doing it anyway without even realizing. Uh, because if you think of um, something like an Aperol Spritz, it's so phenomenally successful in London over the last couple of years. That's a really low alcohol drink. Um, so I think not if people aren't necessarily choosing it because it's low alcohol, but they're going for that style of drink. So it's a session drink, it's something that you could drink all afternoon through to the evening um, in like uh, the summer terrace or like in the winter time. Um, so I think that's definitely true. I think the other side of it is that people are looking for quality um, and so they're not necessarily just drinking for alcohol content anymore. So they're drinking because they enjoy drinking. Absolutely. Yeah, and I saw it when I worked in a gin bar. You know, people come in and they say, I want that gin and that tonic. So people know what they want and they're much more savvy about it these days. And I think um, if you can give them something that means that they can have more than one drink in an evening, then that's good for everybody. It's also amazing for the bar, obviously, because it means that people stay and they, instead of having one drink, then dinner, then leaving, they'll stay for more drinks and they very much make it like a destination for your evening. Yes, I know, because I feel like I have a two-drink two drink minimum, mm. two-cocktail minimum sometimes. Yeah. Because, you know the words of my grandmother never mix she was always you drank one thing of course cocktails you're mixing a million things so the possibility of a headache the next day is higher the more yeah, cocktails you too. drink and I think it's getting across to people that you're not losing anything because it's low alcohol right and um, so we do drinks like a, a reverse style martini 
so it's much heavier in Belsasar Dry than it is in gin. Obviously, it's still like a super flavorsome, really delicious drink. Um, you still get all that flavor from that gin. Gin's punchy, so you're not losing anything from it. Um, but it just means, yeah, that you can enjoy it in a different way. And it also means that you can drink something like a martini with your dinner, as opposed to if you drank a, a classic one, the alcohol content is too high probably to pair with food because it just numbs your taste buds. So, um, yeah, it's, it's changing that perception. I right, I was going to ask you, um, can you describe in more depth the different, the four different uh, wines that you have? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so for our Belsasar Dry, we use a wine called a Gutedel, um, which is a regional German grape. Nobody's ever heard of Gutedel, so don't worry about that. Um, but it's like a really apricotty, really peachy wine, but it's super crisp, really dry, it's low in acidity, so that's a really nice, uh, apparently if you're in Baden, and they have like a, a four course dinner and it's three glasses of Gouteiro and one, one meal. So they drink it a lot there. Um, but yeah, it's really light and really refreshing. So for that one, what we do is we add flavors like uh, apple, so keep the freshness, but then obviously you've got wormwood, which is like the bitterness at the end. Um, so you're working on two different flavors. Um, and then for our rosé, we use a Sperbergen, which is a Pinot Noir grape. So it's much softer, it's much more kind of creamy, uh, strawberry, raspberry flavors. So for that, we work on the raspberry element and the kind of floral light element. But interestingly, a cocktail with that, you compare it with mezcal, where it's smoky, rich tequila, type flavor, and it's delicious. And it sounds so great. yeah, that goes that goes two different ways. And um, for our rosé, I would say the best way to drink it is just with a splash of tonic water in the top. And it's like a really light, fresh drink. Um, yeah, our white, a Gewürztraminer base, and it's it's kind of like a honey peachy flavor, but Gewürz in German means herbal or herbal spice, so it already has that element to it. And what we do is we add more savory herbal flavors. You've got ginger in there, so it's kind of warming and spicy at the end, but it has the, the rich sweetness. Um, because we don't add any sugar to it, we add sweet grapes, uh, like the juice from grapes. It's like an oily, rich texture as opposed to like, super sticky. And that was one of the winemakers' ideas as well. Um, and then our last one is our red. So typically red vermouth will be made from a white wine base just because you wouldn't necessarily want the tannins from red wine going in there because it's typically going to be a sweet product when it's finished. Um, the guys at Belsasar said red vermouth, red wine. That makes sense to us. Now let's go with that. Um, so we use a Spätburgunder again, so a Pinot Noir and a Muscatella base. And then much more flavorless like cinnamon, clove, that's the one that has the tonka bean in, so it's like a vanilla chocolatey, spicy flavor. It sounds yeah. perfect for Christmas. Yes, it's like Christmas in a bottle. When I started, I started in February, and I was so excited by the time it got to Christmas, I was just like, this is Christmas! Because I don't know, but in our house, what we do at Christmas is we take oranges and we um, put cloves into them, we hang them. I told somebody this, and they gave me a really strange look once, but that's what we do, and you get that it's the same kind of cinnamon-rich, really spicy smell. No, we do that as well. Okay, we it's fine. That. I do, I do know that. I've seen that, and it smells delicious. So, gosh, you made me really, really thirsty. So, why don't we go drink, make a drink? Yes, let's right? do it. Sounds like a good idea. One sip, and it was too yummy not to ask for another. As the drinks are low alcohol, Fliss and I sat and enjoyed several more. Thanks to Belsazar for sparing her for a second to speak with us today. The cocktail menu at the Donovan Bar and Brown's Hotel in London is one of the most creative in town. 
We have had bartender Ricardo Vecchio to thank for that. He is with us for our last podcast before the holidays, talking snowflake martinis and other Christmas cocktails. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar. <laughs>